I'm back to tell you about Joseph. This is about the Joseph in the left half of your Bible, not the Joseph in the right half. There's a lot to cover, and Pastor Rick will actually be teaching us about him for the next seven weeks. Joseph's story is really a story about when life gets tough and we go through hard things. It is very easy to get sad, mad, and react badly when those things happen to us. The question we get to ask ourselves is do we respond or react when those hard things happen? When we trust that God has a plan for those hard things, we get to respond with faith. We aren't always responsible for those things that happen, but we are always responsible for the choices we make in those times. Today, Pastor is teaching on temptation. When bad things happen in our lives, we're often tempted to think only about what we want and make excuses for our bad choices. Sometimes we even excuse bad choices because we think no one is around to see us. Joseph was sold into slavery. His family wasn't around to check up on what he was doing. He had lots of reasons to be upset, but he didn't allow himself to be selfish or make excuses. He chose to honor God even when no one was looking. He chose to run from temptation. He even ran so fast that he left his coat behind. Over the next seven weeks, we will learn a lot, and it will be so fun to learn together. Thank you for being a part of this Joseph series. Now, let's hear from Pastor Rick. Well, good morning. Well, that was really good. Much better than the last hour. You guys are awake, ready to go. So this is week number two for our Joseph series on how to respond in faith and not simply react like everybody else might react when things happen. For the first three weeks, it's gonna be when bad things happen. For the last three weeks, it'll be when good things happen and then we'll sum it all up. I was thinking about a story that happened to me Man, this was back in uh, the 90s, which I know for some of you, you weren't even born yet, or maybe you were just getting born. I know for some of you, you can't even remember the 90s. For some, the 90s, like me, seemed like yesterday. But I was just starting out in ministry, and like this was like 93, I think. I was working for a pastor. I was a youth pastor back then. And the senior pastor, his name was Jay, invited me to his house for lunch. And I was just so excited because I didn't get to spend much time with this guy. And I got to go over to his house and have lunch with he and his wife. And we were going to talk and, and I was going to get to know him a little bit. And, and so we're eating and, and having a good time. And, uh, and so he leaves the room. I don't know where, what he was doing. He, he walked away for some reason. And so I'm just kind of killing time there in the living room. And I'm picking up the magazines that are on the coffee table. Now, that was back in the day where you didn't read everything online. You didn't have your tablet or your phone. You actually had subscriptions and things like Sports Illustrated and, uh, you know, Cosmopolitan and all these magazines would come in and you could read them if you want to. And you had to actually pick them up. You remember the good old days where you thumb through them, paper, stuff like that. And so I'm thumbing through some of his magazines, killing a little bit of time. And I noticed that there are like pages that are like half torn out or like marker that was like coloring over certain pictures in these magazines. And, you know, it was like somebody had gone through and sort of edited them or, um, you know, redacted them. I mean, it was, it was strange. And so Jay comes back in, this pastor, and I'm like, what's the deal with the magazines? And I said, you know, they're, they're missing pages and there's, you know, black marks and stuff and unusual places. And he said, oh, it's simple. He said, um, you know, there's things in magazines that aren't appropriate for a man who wants to be a man of faith to look at. And uh, he said, my wife looks at the magazines before they come in the house and she tears the things out that she thinks will offend me. And she, you know, makes sure that by the time they hit the coffee table, it's gonna be all right. And I looked at him and inside I'm thinking, what are you, a pervert? What's wrong with you, Jay? You know, I mean, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I didn't understand. I'm like, you have no self-control? I mean, a magazine, are you kidding me? And, and a little later, his wife came in and she offered dessert. Now, Jay was fit, he was an athlete. And uh, she offered dessert, cake. She walked over and she said to him, she goes, hey, would you like some cake? And he said, no, thank you. I don't want any cake. I don't need any. 
And she offered it to me, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I want cake. Of course I do, you know? And so I took the cake, and so I'm eating, and I'm like, Jay, pastor, what, what's the deal? I mean, you know, you're fit. Why wouldn't you have cake? And he said, well, it's kind of the same reason, the same thing you noticed when you looked at the magazines. He said, you know, sometimes you have to be careful. You have to guard yourself. Sometimes things will sneak up on you. He said, with the cake, it's really easy. He said, sure, I could have the cake if I wanted it. But he said, this is what I found. He said, sometimes it's best for me to say no in the little things because then when big things come and I try to say no to myself, it's a whole lot easier for me to do it and I'm a whole lot more likely to listen. And he stopped and he has my attention at this point. And he said, little things become big things over time. When we discipline ourselves in the little things, we protect ourselves from the big things. When we choose to be undisciplined in the little things, then big things, bad things can happen in and over time. Today we're going to talk about temptation, and temptation can happen really in three ways, very simple ways. There may be more. You might have more. These are just three categories. The first is the temptation for stuff. And, um, you know, I think that it's pretty simple. Sometimes we see something and we want something. Sometimes it's a new car, maybe a new house, maybe it's a vacation, maybe it's, I don't know. I mean, pick, pick something. You see it and you want it. And you're like, you know what? I don't need it. And you have this conversation with yourself. But I really want it. And I deserve it. And so I think I'm going to have it. And so you go ahead and you do something. You buy something, you commit to something, you acquire something, and, and you know you probably shouldn't, and you know maybe the money or the resources could be used better in other ways, but you find yourself just talking yourself into it. And the problem is, not that there's stuff out there that we want, because there's all kinds of stuff, right? I mean, all kinds of stuff. The problem is when the external temptation meets an internal desire, and they combust into an action that makes us prisoners of our choices, and we find ourselves trapped, fall into temptation. The second category of temptation, a little more subtle but equally as dangerous, and that's the temptation to achieve, the temptation for success, the temptation to be perceived as powerful, to have control over people, to have the kind of life that everybody covets, to have the social media presence that makes you look like you're better than everybody else, an enviable existence. And so you do things, you tell lies, you hide, you're evasive, perhaps even a little judgmental, maybe a little distant. And you find yourself trying to craft and create an environment where everything comes to you and you have total control. And find yourself one step ahead of the snowball that's going to come crashing down. In general, everyone close to you knows that these things about you aren't true, but you've acquired them and sometimes compromising the ways we acquire them by using people by lying, by cheating, by being self-absorbed, we find ourselves trapped. The third type of temptation, and this is the sensual temptation. Now, in the story we're going to talk about today, it's a sexual temptation, but it doesn't just have to be. It can be the temptation for a piece of cake. Now, I don't have the same temptations that you have. For example, our staff, we're split, our pastoral staff, right down the middle. When it comes to food, um, there are about half of us who really like sweets. I mean, if you put a piece of cake down on the table, they're going to go for the piece of cake. 
Me, not so much. I don't really care that much for sweets, but you put chips down there, something like that, salty or bread or something. I'm going right for the bread and the chips, the cake, not so much, the bread and the chips. That's sort of me. And, and you know, so we have these temptations and sometimes what's wrong with food? Nothing, but sometimes food can become a problem if it compromises our health or we have an obsession over it. Sometimes it's, it, well, it's another person. And in this story, we're gonna see that there was a person who had a desire for someone else. It wasn't her husband or wife. And um, the temptation could have combusted into a shipwrecked life. We're gonna see some moral principles that are really important. We're gonna see that little things, well, they become big things over time. And Joseph is a great example of what a life of faith looks like. But before we get there, what I want to do is I want to start us off with a couple of thoughts, and then we're going to hear a chapter of Scripture that is the the passage we're going to be in today. And um, I think that you're going to really be fascinated by it if you haven't heard it before. And if you have, we're going to revisit it in a way that I hope will be and seem like it's the first time. So let's look back at Romans 15, 4. This is what we started last week with and what we'll start this week with. For everything that was written in the past, in the Old Testament, was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide that we may have hope. So the stories that we see in the Old Testament about people of enduring faith, people who make good choices, people who make faithful choices, encourage us and give us hope. Two thoughts we're going to start this morning off with. The first thought, very, very simple. My reaction to negative circumstances in life, your reaction to negative circumstances in life, reveals your confidence in God. You're going to see this being true in Joseph's life. You see it true in your own life. The way we react when negative things happen reveals our confidence in God. Let me say it a different way. How would you react to your life circumstances right now if you absolutely believe God was with you and you really believe that God was in control? Would it change the way you think? Would it change how you spend your time? Would it change the way you invest your money? The second thing, God's word never shines as brightly in our lives as when all of the other lights that we've counted on to guide our lives have gone out. When everything else is gone and God is all we have, his word, his promises, his nature, his character never shine more true, more brightly. Listen carefully to this passage of scripture. We're going to listen to almost an entire chapter and then I'm going to come back and we're going to look at a couple highlights and apply this to our life in a way that I know will challenge you and I think it's going to be a little fun. Genesis 39. We pick up the story of Joseph after he had been taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelites. Potiphar, an Egyptian, one of Pharaoh's officials and the manager of his household, bought him from them. As it turned out, God was with Joseph, and things went very well for him. He ended up living in the home of his Egyptian master. His master recognized that God was with him, saw God was working for good in everything he did. He became very fond of Joseph, and made him his personal aid. He put him in charge of all his personal affairs, turning everything over to him. From that moment on, God blessed the home of the Egyptian, all because of Joseph. The blessing of God spread over everything he owned, at home and in the fields, and all Potiphar had to concern himself with was eating three meals a day. Joseph was a strikingly handsome man, 
As time went on, his master's wife became infatuated with Joseph and one day said, Sleep with me. He wouldn't do it. He said to his master's wife, Look, with me here, my master doesn't give a second thought to anything that goes on here. He's put me in charge of everything he owns. He treats me as an equal. She pestered him day after day after day, but he stood his ground. He refused to go to bed with her. On one of these days, he came to the house to do his work, and none of the household servants happened to be there. She grabbed him by his cloak, saying, Sleep with me. He left his coat in her hand and ran out of the house. When she realized that he had left his coat in her hand and run outside, she called to her house servants, Look, this Hebrew shows up, and before you know it, he's trying to seduce us. He tried to make love to me, but I yelled as loud as I could. With all my yelling and screaming, he left his coat beside me here and ran outside. She kept his coat right there until his master came home. She told him the same story. She said, The Hebrew slave, the one you brought to us, came after me and tried to use me for his plaything. When I yelled and screamed, he left his coat with me and ran outside. When his master heard his wife's story, telling him, These are the things your slave did to me, he was furious. Joseph's master took him and threw him into the jail where the king's prisoners were locked up. But there in jail, God was still with Joseph. He reached out in kindness to him. He put him on good terms with the head jailer. The head jailer put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners. He ended up managing the whole operation. Well, that was great. I love that narration. Thank you guys for doing that. We left Joseph in a bad situation where he had experienced things that were really traumatic. I mean, he had been beaten up by his brothers. He'd been thrown into a pit. They decided not to kill him when they threw him into the pit. They decided that they would sell him, which I guess was better in some ways, maybe worse than others. Then when they pulled him back up out of the pit, they sold him to some Ishmaelites. They sold him for 20 pieces of silver, which was the price of a handicapped slave. And he found himself handcuffed in a line of people heading to a land that he did not know, to a language he didn't understand, to a culture he'd never been a part of, no idea, no control what his future would bring, and found himself having left behind both his father, his family, and everything that represented his faith. And he had to decide, as he was taking these steps away from everything he knew, to this land that he did not know, but he knew that he was going to, he had to make a decision, and it's the same decision that you and I have to make. Who am I? What do I want? Because Joseph could do anything he wanted. You ever found yourself by yourself? You ever found yourself alone? You ever found yourself in a spot where nobody else is seeing you and nobody knows what you do? Maybe you felt that way when your parents dropped you off at college for the first time. Maybe you were raised in a Christian home and maybe your faith had to become your own. It was their faith growing up and, and you realized that they couldn't see everything that you did, that, that you could make decisions and maybe hide them from them, that you could kind of manage the relationship. And really the questions had to be answered. Who am I? What do I want? Maybe your faith is not your own even here this morning. Maybe your faith really belongs to your wife or your husband. Maybe you're here just because they want you to be. You're trying to make them happy. They feel like if you're here, it makes you a nicer person, and so you're a little easier to be around. 
and you find yourself in a situation where nobody's looking, where no one's paying attention, where you can do whatever you want, and you find out whether or not your faith is your own. Is your faith your own? Am I really a person of faith? Joseph had to decide. And the great thing about this story is, is that he did whatever he wanted. But what he wanted was to be, in fact, a person of faith. Now, I think in this story, you and I have to, first of all, stop playing games. Because I'm talking about temptation, and I love talking about temptation because I deal with it, you deal with it, we all deal with it. In fact, if you have no temptations in your life, if you've never experienced temptation and you think you're not going to experience any temptation, and right now you have no clue what I'm even speaking about, you probably need to leave because the rest of the morning isn't going to apply to you even a little bit. I mean, this is something that the Bible talks about so often that I know it's applicable to everybody. I know it's certainly applicable to, to my own life. It's really important, and we get to see it lived out here in a story of faith like Romans tells us is given to us to encourage us, to give us hope, to let us know that God always keeps his promises and that even when we make hard decisions, he never lets us down. So let's look together at this story. A few of the highlights. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Now, you may not think that's a big deal, but in fact, it was a big deal because he was sold into slavery, which was a terrible thing in any culture in any day, and he was sold to a person who had a nickname. Now, he worked, this person, Potiphar, worked for Pharaoh, for Pharaoh, and he had a nickname, and history tells us that his nickname was the Head Chopper. Now, what does that mean? It means that in times when capital punishment was necessary, when the death penalty was necessary, that he loved to chop people's heads off. So he was the Head Chopper, the first one in line with the ax, but he was also the Head Chopper. He was the person who was good at killing, and he didn't mind killing. He was a person that would be very happy to take someone's head off. He was ruthless. He had a reputation. Uh, well, he worked his way into that job, let's just say, um, not because he was a nice guy, because he would do whatever it took, no matter what it took, and he got the job done. So Joseph went to work for somebody who was used to lopping heads. Now, you want to talk about a tough boss. You think your boss is tough. You might get fired or demoted, but generally, they're not going to kill you. He's not going to pull out an ax and take your head off if you do something he doesn't like. But in this situation, that was a likely possibility. Now, the Bible says the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Now, I think the Lord being with Joseph is one of the things that you continue to see throughout this story. And it's one of the things that you and I are going to continue to see in our lives. The Lord was with Joseph because Joseph continued to make choices that allowed him to be with the Lord. He continued to make choices that even though it didn't seem like life was going well, that even though it seemed like he had really been forgotten, that God was distant and that no one was paying attention, that he continued to make choices of faith. He continued to show that he was a man of faith. And he did it in a place that he had never been to, around a people he was unfamiliar with, learning a language that he didn't know, where no one was watching and no one was paying attention. Potiphar noticed, and he left everything he had in Joseph's care. And he didn't have to concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. An amazing story. 
Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome, an interesting parenthetical note just thrown here in the middle. I think it's important because you have to understand what comes next. Joseph was well-built and handsome. The Bible doesn't talk about too many well-built and handsome men. It talks about Absalom, David's son. It talks about David. It talks about Saul. The Bible talks about Joseph. He says they were well-built and they were handsome, and you need to know that because Joseph evidently was a chick magnet. Unfortunately, he was a married chick magnet, and that's not good because... Well, you'll see in just a second, he was being faced with a temptation. Now, just so you know, and I'm sure we all do, that the temptation here that Joseph is going to face is the temptation to commit adultery. Sexual sin is any sin, well, it's sexual sin, it's a sexual act that takes place outside the confines of a monogamous marriage between a man and a woman period. Society may tell you different things. Maybe you interpret scripture different ways according to culture, but the Bible's very clear that we wait until married, when married, the sexual act is reserved just for the marriage partner between a man and a woman. It's monogamous. It's before the Lord and it's good, but there are temptations to violate that agreement, to do it our way, to maybe compromise in, well, ways that could shipwreck a life. The Bible says Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said very simply, come to bed with me. Now, how forward can you possibly be? This is kind of funny, right? The reason that the Bible said he was well-built and handsome is because you really wouldn't believe it unless... You know, the Bible actually said it. I mean, some woman actually being this forward, and this was Mrs. Potiphar. She was married to the head chopper. I mean, that's not good, right? Mrs. P married to the head chopper. I mean, not somebody you'd really want to get cross with, but she was in charge of the household. Joseph was managing the household. Potiphar was away at work. History tells us that Potiphar's wife was very attractive, that she was bored. She had a lot of power, and she said, hey, boy, come over here. I have interest in you. Now, Joseph had to choose. What am I going to do? He could do anything he wanted. He was far away from his dad, far away from his faith or what represented his faith and could choose to do what he wanted. But the good thing is Joseph wanted what God wanted. She said to him, come to bed with me, but he refused. Maybe it was polite. Oh, no, thank you. Um, I appreciate it, but no, I'm good. Uh, You know, no, you know, at first. But the Bible tells us that she was relentless, You read this story, it's in your notes, that she continued to proposition him day after day after day, that she tried to figure out ways to entice him to get him alone. And he was a young man who would have had material, career, and physical benefits from saying yes, who continually chose to say no. And he chose to say no because he knew what he wanted. And he wasn't playing games. But we play games. Sometimes we see how close we can get to sin without actually sinning, right? We get as close as we possibly can and we try to live our lives in shades of gray. How close can I get without making God mad? How close can I get without crossing the line? And Joseph had made a choice. And this choice is so powerful. It's the choice that Jay was teaching me back in the day. 
that Dan and I talk about all the time and our staff. We have to decide that we want what's right more than what we might want in a moment. Whether it's material, whether it's status, or whether it's physical. And most of the time we know. Most of the time we see the shades of gray. Most of the time we jump into the area and we play around. Well, what do you mean? I'm strong enough, right? I'm wise enough. I'm experienced enough. It's not going to get me. And the Bible, well, it talks about that. But we have to decide, what do I want? Well, we're going to move on to a, sto- to a part of the story here, shift over to the New Testament. And before we do that, I'm going to tell you something, a story that Dan told me not to tell you, Pastor Dan. Matter of fact, the, the, half the staff, most of our pastoral staff, I told them in staff meeting, they said, don't tell this story, Rick, because... Um, they're not gonna, it's not gonna go well. It's not gonna be a good story and you know, church family, they're not gonna know how to take it. And I don't always listen to wise counsel. I said, Dan, they're my friends. They're not gonna take it bad, Dan. Brandon, Jared, it's gonna be okay. Ashley's back there going, no, don't do that, Kathy. Even my wife, Joy. I'm just gonna tell you, all right? Just gotta, don't judge me. Really happened. Um, I think God gave me this story just to illustrate the Joseph message today. Just never happened to me before. You ever had anybody do this to you? I don't think so. You ever just wanted to just assault somebody in Walmart? Anyone? <laughs> Maybe assault. Yeah, I probably wanted to assault somebody, but not actually, you know, assault in this, this kind of way. Joy was out of town. That's the way bad stories happen, right? Joy was in a far off land. I was here. Nobody was, no, it's not one of those stories. There's no confession in this story. She was out of town. I'm talking to my son, Nathan, on the phone. I go to Walmart. Now, what I do when I go to Walmart is I check out. It's a secret. Don't do this because then it won't work for me. When I have to go to Walmart, I check out in the automotive back in the back because there's usually, if you can find it, a person working back there. And they'll check you out and it's quicker than having to wait in line in the front. And so I walk up to the register and there's an old lady there with a cart. This really happened, okay? Do not make fun of me. Do not tell me how senile she was and how bad her judgment was and how she probably didn't have good eyesight. I've heard all the jokes. Skip all those jokes. There's an old lady, how old? I don't know, older than me, old enough to wear. Joy thinks this is a funny story too. Okay, I walk in, talking to my son, and she says, stop. So I stopped, and I said, excuse me? And I kept talking to Nathan. And she goes, you're not going one step further. And um, I kind of put the phone down, and I said, I don't understand. And she said, I'm not crazy. Now, if someone tells you that they're not crazy, Two things happen, right? One, if someone says they're not crazy, first thing is they're probably crazy. And the second thing is you can't use crazy in court as a defense because you've already said I'm not crazy. And she almost needed to, you know, a defense in court. So she stops me and I said, can I help you? And this is what she said. I promise, don't judge me. Don't make fun of me. This is what she said. She says, you're not going any further until I feel your muscles. And that's what I heard my son doing on the phone, <laughs> laughing, Nathan, ha, ha, ha. And then he goes, Dad, where are you? I thought you said you were at Walmart. And, and I said, I don't understand. And she said, you're not going any further till I feel your muscles. And I was stunned. I didn't know what to do. So this is what I did. I stood there and I got groped at Walmart. She felt my arms. 
by an old lady. And she just squeezing my arms and, and I'm looking around for the cameras going, surely this is a joke. And I tried to walk away and there were like five people in line just rolling. And she said, you're not getting in the back of the line. You're going in front of me so I can see you walk to the register. And so I did because I didn't want to wait in line. So I didn't care at that point. The pride was gone. I was stunned. Um, I said, thank you. It's a compliment. You've made my day. Now, flip this around, by the way. Had a random guy done this to a random woman, there would have been a, a Ankeny police called and all kinds of things happened, right? It was really weird. But I went home going, man, this is strange. This is, man, this was, this was I mean, this was crazy. Can you imagine how much worse it was for Joseph? So the Bible talks about it in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 10. In verse 11, Paul says, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. Now these things, this was really the story of the children of Israel and the desert and Joshua and Moses, the stuff we've talked about over in recent weeks. But he's talking about the mistakes that the children of Israel made by falling into temptation. And this is what's really important. In verse 12, the apostle Paul says, any of you in here who think you're above temptation, any of you in here who think you can carry on inappropriate relationships with the opposite gender, Anybody think it's okay to text somebody, to share emotional things, to have conversations with somebody who's not your spouse, that it's not going to come back to bite you? Anybody who thinks it's okay to achieve social status, career, success, control over others through means that aren't godly or right or biblical? Anybody who has the desire to purchase, to show off or to acquire, trapping yourself into servicing debt, limiting options? Anyone who thinks they're above it, anyone who thinks it doesn't apply to them, anyone who thinks they're strong enough, this is what the Apostle Paul says. So if you think you are standing firm, if you think you got it all covered, if you think you got it all worked out, be careful that you don't fall. Why? Because people fall. Sometimes it's on purpose. Sometimes it's an accident. Oftentimes it's a process that goes from an accident to on purpose. Can God's grace cover? Sure. But should we use that as a reason to boldly step into something that dishonors God and invalidates us and our ability to serve him in the present moment? Just because we think God's gracious and gracious enough to forgive? Of course not. A person who would do that probably doesn't know God. Be careful that you don't fall. No temptation, thanks guys, has overtaken you except what's common to mankind. Nothing's new. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Isn't this good news? That there's nothing new, that there's nothing that's going to surprise God, that there's nothing that's going to come into your life that is going to overwhelm you if you really want to do what's right and you really ask God to give you the strength and the help to be able to do it. There is no excuse. Well, I was lonely. 
Well, I was bored. Well, I was stressed. Well, I was tired. Well, I deserved it. We can make all the excuses in the world. But the reality is that there's no temptation that will overtake us, that all of them are common to mankind, and that God is faithful to provide a way out so that we can endure. Now, let me explain real quickly to you two words. One is a warning. This is why it's given to us. The warning is an admonition, and this is the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul saying, really be careful. I mean, this is what the Holy Spirit's telling us, that if we keep going the way we're going, you're going to get in trouble. You better change. Now, if statistics prove true, and I think they probably do, there's some of us in this room, and I know some watching online, who if you're honest with yourself and you're honest with God, you know that if you keep going the way you're going, that if you don't stop, if you don't change, if you don't back up, if you don't end the relationship, back out of the contract, reverse the decisions, change the course that you're heading, if we don't change, if we don't stop, we're gonna get in trouble. And for some, the temptation is to speed up to gather people around us who will agree with the decisions that we're making that we know are the wrong decisions. And once the decision's made, the decision's already made and there's nothing we can do about it and we lay the excuse out there, but it's really just an explanation. And the Apostle Paul says, wake up. If you keep going the way you're going, you're gonna get into trouble. So you better change. Now the second word here is the word for temptation and it really just means trial. It's neutral. It's not morally good or morally bad. It's an external stimulus. A person, a situation, a thing, external, that has to meet with an internal desire. And when the two, the external and the internal, combine, then it combusts into something that can be devastating. And so the idea here is that we're going to face all kinds of external stimuli, things that we want, desires that we have, that life's full of them. But it has to be met with something internal. Who am I? What do I want? So we go back to the story of Joseph. One day, Joseph, he went back into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. Very peculiar, right? If it was a movie, the music would change. It'd be suspenseful. Who do you think was inside the building? Mrs. Potiphar. She had a problem. She was relentless. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. What do you want? I don't understand. I mean, this lady was clear, right? Clear. But what did he do? He left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. You know why? Because he could do whatever he wanted. and he wanted to please the Lord. What do you want? What kind of man, what kind of woman do you want to be? Because you can do whatever you want. And in reality, oftentimes we do. 
Let me leave you with some tools that I think are helpful and I think are important. Number one, pray for strength over temptation. Whatever it is, whether it's chocolate cake or whether it's a person at your office or on your phone. Pray for strength in temptation. This is how I pray. This is how I want you to pray because it works. When you have a temptation towards something that you know is going to cause problems in your life, whatever it would be, this is how I think you should pray. First of all, honest with God. God, I want something I shouldn't want. Is God surprised? Oh, my goodness. I'm going to judge you now. You're telling me you want something you shouldn't want? Oh, you're a bad son. You were a good son until you told me that, and now I'm going to make you. God knows. He knows. He just appreciates the honesty. Don't you appreciate honesty with your kids? Just tell me the truth. Don't manage the relationship. Quit playing. God, I want something I shouldn't want, whatever, whatever it is. I don't want to want it, God, so change my wanter. Fair prayer. Here's the end. But even if you don't change my wanter, I won't. Because I want to be a man of God. God, I want something I shouldn't want. Change my wanter, please. But if you don't, I won't. Because I want to be a person of faith. You can do whatever you want. So what do you want? So you pray and you ask God for help because no temptation will overcome us as long as we are allowing God to give us the strength to endure. Number two, know yourself and know yourself well. Um, I have tendencies toward things and you have tendencies toward things and certain things tempt me and certain things tempt you and you have history and you know where you've been and you know it's not that you don't know, it's that sometimes you're not honest with yourself. Know yourself and know yourself well. Be honest with yourself. Because most of the time we know. Number three, learn to recognize temptation. Oh, I see you. I see you, temptation. I thought you might be coming. Sneaky, sneaky, right? The Bible tells us that Satan prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may, does anybody know the end of this? Devour, not pat on the back, not give a few bucks to, devour. And he's sneaky and he knows your tendencies because he's watched you. And I need to learn to recognize my tendencies. and to protect myself from them. Well, I'm strong enough where I don't have to protect myself. I don't have to worry about that. I'm not gonna buy it. I'm not gonna say it. I'm not gonna talk to her. I'm not gonna be inappropriate. I'm not gonna, I mean, I'm not gonna do that. And, and we don't take precautions. What did First Corinthians say? It said, for those who think they stand, be careful for the love of God because if you're not careful, you fall. Why? Because we're human. And sometimes to learn to recognize temptations and to take precautions, it means inviting somebody else into your life, not who's going to enable you and pat you on the back, making the same mistakes you're making, 
but somebody who's gonna love you enough to point out, I see something I'm not 100% comfortable with. And sometimes friends have to say the kinds of things that you don't wanna hear, but can we talk about it? Sometimes we don't see in our own lives, sometimes we won't see in our own lives. But a faithful friend who's willing to stick their nose in and get a little messy, it'll yield so much benefit. Who are the people closest to you? That's a different message for a different day. Memorize scripture. In your notes, there are references for each of these points, by the way, on your app and the PDF. So you can look these scriptures up and kind of play, follow along at home later if you want to. Memorize scripture. The Bible says, I will hide the word of God in my heart, King David said this, so that I won't sin against God. Tremendous weapon, a tremendous and useful weapon, something that we see one of the greatest followers of God ever, telling us that it's one of his secrets to deal with things like temptation. Number six, remember that there's always a way out. You, friend, are not trapped, and it is not hopeless. If you have made mistakes, or if you're currently making mistakes, there's still a way out. You can take a step back. You can stop. There's still time to be a man or a woman of faith. Remember, Satan will lie to you, and circumstances are confusing. The word of God is true, and my Bible always tells me that if I want to be a man of faith, there's always a way out. All right, let's wrap this up together. Joseph wasn't rewarded for saying no to Potiphar's wife. As a matter of fact, Joseph, well, he was thrown right into a buzzsaw. You think maybe Potiphar's wife was like, ah, you win some, you lose some. She said, hey, come here, little boy. And he's like, no, thank you. And she's like, I get it. Not a big deal. She was a woman scorned and she was ticked. And so she goes to the servants and she said, look, I got this jacket, this coat from Joseph. He's Hebrew. He came in here and he tried to have his way with me and I didn't let him. And I grabbed his coat and he ran off and see, he was trying to, and she told all of the servants. And then she told Potiphar, the head chopper, the head chopper. Now Potiphar, I don't think he believed her. Because there were two things in Egyptian culture at this time that were capital offenses. One was murder and one was adultery. Now, it didn't count if a man slept with a woman who wasn't his wife. That was wrong, but that was cultural, terrible. But in Egyptian culture, the woman was the property of the man, and the man who slept with the woman, they should have been killed immediately. That was the way it was. It happened all the time. Egypt was fairly advanced in its civilization and its civilized behavior. They were one of the only nations that had prisons for holding people long-term as punishment, not just holding them until they could either be beaten, fined, or killed. And the Bible says that Potiphar, and maybe it wasn't Potiphar's wife's first time, I and mean, she was pretty good at it, right? It's not like she was trying to figure out how to approach him. She's like, I think in my 
you know, whatever, 40 years, I've decided the direct approach is best with these young men. I mean, she was good at it. She was pretty skilled at, you know, right to the point. She'd probably done it before. Just my speculation. Potiphar maybe knew that. Maybe he believed in Joseph's character. Maybe he was just irritated because he was losing one of his best servants who was taking care of his house. Whatever it was, he had him thrown into prison and not killed, which says a lot for the head chopper. But it doesn't say a whole lot for Joseph because Joseph found himself, well, from a good place to a bad place, to a better place to a worse place, to a bad decision with no real good outcome to a bad place. And the Bible says, but the Lord was with him. God showed kindness to him in the middle of his bad circumstances and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So let's finish this up right now. A Christian's response to temptation is to withstand it no matter what. Now, I'm not telling you that if you haven't withstood temptation that your life is over and that God can't forgive. God can forgive and he does forgive. And there is a second chance waiting for you if you ask for it. I'm talking about from today on, now on, a Christian response to temptation is to withstand it no matter how I feel, no matter what people tell me, no matter what I think I deserve, to withstand it no matter what. Remember, God, change my heart. Change my wanter because I want something I shouldn't want, but if you don't, I won't. No matter what. But a common reaction is to give in and rationalize or justify. So this is step number two, building block number two. In this life of faith, we see from the example of Joseph. The first was to forgive. The second is to withstand. And we're going to see one more next week. Negative circumstance or thing happened to Joseph. And then the page is going to turn and we're going to see three really positive things happen to him. And we're going to look at the difference between reacting and responding, both in the bad and in the good, and what our lives look like when the Lord is with us as we are choosing to walk with him. Father, thank you for my friends.